Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there, and thanks very much for joining us on this episode of Red Business. We're going to start off today full of childhood nostalgia and Cork's oldest toy shop. I am always inspired every time I pass it by. My children love it. Pinocchio's toy shop is a long-standing pillar in Cork City Centre, nestled away there in Paul Street. It brings in locals, it brings in tourists, and I am delighted that today it has brought in Wayne Stansfield, who's the co-owner of Pinocchio's. It's lovely to have you on. How are you keeping? Very well, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Um, It really is a treasure trove inside there. Remind us again about how long it's on the go. Well, the shop opened in November 1983. Um, so we've just just topped over 40 years. Unfortunately, we didn't have much of a celebration because November for us is not really a time to be um, standing still. Um, but it was started by a, a woman called Marike Ikosa, a Dutch woman who came over in 1983. And she started the shop very much as a kind of Montessori, you know, quite kind of pure Montessori shop but a little bit gifty but mostly Montessori and she only stayed for about 12 months because she got quite ill and ended up having to go back to Holland with her family and she then sold it to a German couple um, Jürgen and Monica who owned it until 1991 when we bought it and they interestingly enough are this connected to Wooden Heart in Galway the couple who owned Wooden Heart in Galway which is well it was very similar to us a little bit different now Um, and they came over with them from Berlin um, and they decided that they had kind of run their course in Pinocchio's um, at the time. They they reckoned that they had two small children and they needed to do something that earned them some more money. And for us, we were still quite young at that stage. Not so much any longer. <laughs> but <laughs> um, you saw that that was the opportunity you had to move in there. But what I love about it is the character of the shop has not changed. I mean, I'm 47 years of age now. It's there 40 years. So I I know it throughout its various uh different iterations but the point is the magic the mystery the the wonder hasn't changed it, it's just something that you cannot buy and certainly modern toy shops cannot replicate what is it do you think about Pinocchio's we've always tried to stay through to, true to our core um you know we've not tried to we've tried not to vary too much we've adapted obviously you know and over time we've we've got new stockists we've deleted stockists um, but ultimately, we've tried to stay true to our original beliefs. We we won't buy something that we don't feel is is Pinocchio's, you know. So we won't buy the latest thing. I don't care. You don't. I don't care what it is. I don't care how marvelous it would be from a turnover or profitability or anything else. If it doesn't suit the shop, we won't do it. And I think that's meant that the shop has maintained a kind of a, a slightly alternative. Yeah, like you said, magical feel to it, and I mean, you can see it when kid when you can see it when kids or adults walk into the shop that they're the the slight kind of feeling of wonder as they look around and realize what they've walked into. But what I love about it, it, it's 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 the lack of plastic, and I know you have plastic toys there. Don't get me wrong, you have those, but it's it's not the first thing you see, which is what happens in a modern toy shop. You see rows and rows of toys in clay encased in plastic. You can't touch them, you can't feel them until you bring them home. You kind of you, you you're the opposite to that. And what impression does that have on on the customer, i.e., the child going through? I think they're quite surprised when they can actually pick something up and try it. And I mean, our attitude has always been, if it's out on a shelf, then we know it's not going to break. 
I mean, ever. And and we we do keep sort of some display stuff. Like we usually have a display kitchen or certainly the train set on the ground. Um, every child plays with it. And I think people are kind of pleasantly surprised. I mean, you can see parents who come in and immediately go, now you're not to touch anything, which of course is a laugh because the first thing the parents do is touch something. But yes, then, absolutely. The, the worst people, uh, the worst offenders will be people. the parents. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's a totally pointless. And also to say, don't touch something when you're in, you know, a toy shop where that is, you know, the core thing. It's a bit of a laugh. Now they do say, like with the train set, they say, oh, no, no, please don't play with that. And then they suddenly realize that there's a sign on the toy set that says, please play with me. Because obviously <laughs> for us, it's great. If children play with that, their parents can wander around and shop and spend their money and the children are happy. And as long as the children are happy, then that is part of the that's part of the joy of it. Mm. You know, it's nice to have children wander around and fiddle with stuff and 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 try it out. But you you are, of course, now on your second generation. In fact, probably your third generation of children uh, yeah. that are coming in that would have known about Pinocchios. Um, and that little bit of history means that you're you're kind of you're you're kind of stuck there now. You have to stay open forever because uh, you're you're part of the mystery and the wonder. Well, that's what that's what I think. I mean, because I mean, obviously, we're we're getting older now. I mean, I'm in my sixties now, where I was in my thirties when when I when we bought the shop. And certainly, hauling boxes up and down the stairs is a whole lot more challenging than it used to be. Um, so I don't I don't know. I mean, I I I it is something that you'd like to see never end. I mean, I'd like to think that in 20, 30 years' time, that it was still sitting on the side of Paul Street, and people were still going in and out, going, "God, I remember this when I was small." You know, I mean. As long as we keep getting a new generation. And interestingly, like even though obviously the modern generation of parents do do an awful lot of stuff online, we still get those parents who need the advice and we still get the older people who want advice because they've forgotten completely what children do. Um, uh, one of the things that I, I love uh, about the stories I've heard from the shop in recent times is, look, everybody has had problems with rising costs. I mean, you're not immune to that either. But then again, you hear about the story of the marble and somebody <laughs> writing into you and you go, well, that that gives you motivation to go to work every morning. Tell us about that letter you got. Well, I mean, that letter was just lovely. I mean, it's it's partly um, it's partly good parenting. I mean, that little, that little boy had obviously um, taken a marble, you know, as as they do. I mean, small children take stuff sometimes totally unintentionally. You know, there's no malice involved. Obviously, there is some people who take it with malice. But but in this case, no malice involved. I imagine he got back to the hotel, pulled that marble out of his pocket, very proud of it. And his mother or father looked and went, where did you get that? <laughs> And he went, well, you know, in Pinocchio's. Um, and I'd say they were just shocked, but they obviously didn't, they didn't write that until they got back to the States. I mean, he was, he was obviously American. I mean, his name was Irish, but, um, but he was obviously an American tourist. And um, his parents forced him to write a very nice letter to us, apologizing profusely for his, <laughs> his error. <laughs> oh, well, he'll remember, he'll remember it, if nothing else. Absolutely. Yeah, I've one final question, Wine. How heavy is the Pinocchio outside the door? Because obviously, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. Does he come in or out every night, or what the story he comes is? In, he comes in and out he every day. Night, yeah, he's, yeah. He's changed to the drawer because he is extremely heavy. He weighs, I, he weighs about twenty kilos in total. I, but I mean, having had him clatter off the ground one day inside the shop, Jesus, he would be sore. He also collapsed during co. Um, I uh, during. Oh, just pre-Christmas 2020, after after we reopened after COVID. 
um, he collapsed because he is he is 15 years old. I mean, we were we have been lucky over the years in terms of longevity in that we were lucky we were able to expand in 2008 um, because we closed the shop in Dublin and that paid for an expansion in Cork. And Pinocchio has been sitting outside that door since 2008. And unfortunately, his hips, like all of us, <laughs> are struggling. Are struggling so look, and crack. I, I, I'm glad that at least, I don't know whether he's had the transplant or not, but he's still standing proud. Oh, on he's Paul had Street. the transplant. He went to hospital. <laughs> he got fully repaired. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad the system works. Wyatt, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Pinocchio's you on Paul Street. Wyatt Stansfield, co-owner. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, Jonathan. Every corner of Ireland has a little chunk of history and sometimes that history is lost to time. But on other occasions, we've managed to build it back up into something bright and new for the community. Hannah Griffiths Bar is in a place called Skenna Killa in North Cork and it has been brought back to life by, amongst others, co-manager Michelle Lewis. Michelle, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's lovely to talk to you. First of all, Skenna Killa. I, I actually now think I might know where it is, having said it out loud. But you might tell the listeners where the, the where Hannah Griffiths is. Okay, so if you're heading from from Kildare towards Mallow, we're right in between there. So we're at the crossroads there of Castletown Road. So just head from Kildare, from Kildare to Mallow, and it's about ten miles from Mallow and ten miles from Mitchellstown. Now I know that road very very well, and I think I know where the pub is. But it's been closed for a long time, hasn't it? It has been closed for quite a long time, yeah. So uh, we reopened there a year and a half ago and we're actually going to be celebrating 100 years next year of that new establishment being built. So first of all, I mean, was there originally a Hannah Griffin? There was, yeah. There was originally a Hannah Griffin, yeah. And she passed away and then the Pope was brought and put under management by myself and Kevin Cahill. And we... I suppose we saw an opening for a rural pub in Ireland. Um, we feel that, well, I felt a rural Ireland was dying uh, on its knees, really. And we saw an, an opening for it. But I suppose then when we looked at the pub, we said, oh, my God, how are we going to get people in here? Because so you'd have a lot of uh, townlands right beside you. And we saw this um, social spend car working down in Kerry. So we just came up with the idea. We said we'd try and get the people to the pub and home just for a few euro, you know, in actual fact, we don't make money off it. We're just trying to get the people out of their houses and into the pub and into the into the, the setting of enjoying the a pint, having a chat, sitting yeah. by the fire. Oh, and Michelle, I, 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 look, if, if I could be there, I, I would be right now because it sounds like absolute heaven for me. The challenge, of course, uh, is running a pub. It's an expensive business at the best of times. Running a rural pub, we're told consistently, uh, sure, uh, people don't want to do it anymore. There's too many costs and overheads. What did the community do when you did open the pub? I mean, have they embraced it? Oh, uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, it's everything beyond our dreams and more. You know, I suppose when we took it on, we we, we had a sit down and, and said, look, you know, if you get this, this, you know, I suppose going back to COVID, you know, people became isolated. And I think it stuck in their heads, you know, to stay at home and they'd no way out. And I suppose for the 60 plus and the 70 plus year olds, they kind of lost their identity a bit. So we said, look, all we'd be very happy if we could fill the pub there. Small nookie pub, you know, 40 people. If you could fill that there on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday, sure, we'd be thrilled. And, you know, we'd have your punters in and they'd be able to have the crack and we'd bring them home and there'd be no drink driving and which we're 
complete ambassadors for because we believe in just getting the person home safe and it just lifted Jonathan you know <laughs> um, so we said okay I think it's time to expand and there's old sheds at the side of the building so we expanded that and that was a beehive Right okay can I ask a question Um, the social spin you've mentioned it there I wasn't familiar with yeah. the idea in Kerry how does that work? So basically um, we do within about a 10 mile radius so you you ring us and say okay I want to pick up from wherever blah, 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 and we charge with a few euro they just throw a few euro to the driver we bring them directly to the pub and when they're ready to go home then we bring them directly home so you know you're not paying the price of a taxi we're not a taxi we're not charging the price of a taxi we're basically just bringing the punters and if they want to tip a few euro to the driver that's up to themselves but it's just a way of getting people out of the house and into a public platform what, what do you say to people who say the rural pub is dead? I mean, you, you've boxed that trend, haven't you? Yeah. So I suppose I, I always felt I suppose there was always an opening for a rural pub. You know, I always said, you know, you can get the people out. It's just, I believe with pubs these days, you won't get a customer just to walk into a pub for the sake of, oh, we'll just go down to Hannah's tonight. You need to draw your customer in, you know? And I suppose that with a rural pub, we had no chance unless we brought this social spin car into action. And that's where that idea was born. So rural Ireland isn't dead, but I think people need to use a lot more initiative, a lot more thinking, and just be more proactive in, in opening up rural Ireland, getting it back on the map and putting, putting rural Ireland back on the map. Well, I'm definitely going to have to pop in next time I'm passing through. Michelle Lewis uh, from Skinnakilla in North Cork, Hannah Griffiths Bar. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us and, and happy serving. No problem. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Working towards a cleaner environment is more important than ever these days, and there are ways to do that while still creating a business. With me is Colm O'Connor, who's here to tell us about the fabulous work he does at IRD Duhallo Furniture Revamp. Colm, how are you? I'm very good. How are you, Jonathan? I'm very well indeed. Now, um, look, revamping furniture what wasn't the done thing for a long time. If you'd an old couch, sure, look at you were you, you were you were you were poor. But now we're realising there might be life in the old couch yet, are we? Absolutely, a hundred percent. I think this is um, you know, taking on a new lease of life. Now we started the project ourselves in first of January, twenty sixteen. Um, we are part of a a local development company here in Newmarket County, Cork, IRD Dohalla, who have been in Gov, who, who have been in in business now with thirty five years, uh, who help local communities with leader and funding of all sorts. Now, I suppose the 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 want for it was found through other social enterprises that we have here on site uh, regarding like warmer homes and our meals on wheels service to all the community food services, you know. So they saw um, that people were in need of, of um, you know, furniture and bits and pieces in their houses or whatever, you know. Yeah. And they were able to, to I suppose, the need was was identified by that alone, you know. Well, so then our uh, CEO, Mara Walsh here, decided to take on uh, a new social enterprise called IRD Duhalla for, for, for Furniture Revamp. So can I ask you a question? What kind of furniture are we talking about here? Is it pretty much anything that needs a bit of TLC? Well, yeah, it is. But I suppose the long and short of it is we kind of, um, like we would have a filtering process, obviously, because there'd be a certain amount of it that we couldn't do anything with. Do you know what I mean? And But we would take some of it that would, you know, that we could use parts of or something like that, you know? You know, the other side of that would be like that we have a system where 
people come to us and we come along then and we have a look through our what we'll say uh, through our WhatsApp. We get a photograph and then we get a photograph through email. And our driver would make a final decision then, you know, whether we could bring it in. Okay. And what's now, the proudest thing that you have restored to date, Colin? What are you particularly happy with? Okay. So we've worked on several pieces here um, and the staff outside have, have been very good or whatever, you know, um, in this, like where, you know, um, we have had um, pieces that we would have restored for people who would have maybe sentimental value. There was one particular one there of a, of a man whose grandmother actually um, got a chair, I think it dates back to like 1890 when she got married or something as a wedding present. And we completely restored that being inside in a shed after a while, you know. Now, it was worth fixing. Like, I won't come along to you and say everything that everyone have in their shed, go out and dig into the shed to spin it. It's going to be worth your while because it may not, you know what I mean? Um, but what we do find, and going back to the point again, is like we were founded basically on a community social, a community services program that really is looking after people we'll say, um, from low-income households, they're kind of a tag group that we would have. You know what I mean? So, like, I mean, if someone is in bad need of furniture, we would be the people to come to them. But also we deal with the general public as well, but we have a kind of a tiered structure where we um, have, we'll say, prices that are tiered for people who wouldn't be able to afford um, the full price or whatever. You know what I mean? Now, saying that, no, Jonathan, um, like, we would be light touch when it comes to um, getting stuff in because you see the light touch the, the best you can do is when you have a light touch you can afford to give it a lower price into a, a, to a certain target group yeah. you know uh, well what I love about this is the whole community enterprise element you have got uh, furniture that needs to be recycled you have got people who are employed in recycling it and then you have people who are benefiting from the furniture when it is given to them at an affordable price uh, why aren't we doing more of this Colin? Well, you see, I suppose, you know, to be honest, this is what they call a social enterprise, you know, and I suppose really this doesn't pay its way, you know, in the private industry. We don't say none for profit here. We, we, we say it's profit for purpose. So the purpose that we have is that once any profit that we make, they go straight back into the social enterprise to be able to expand it maybe and to get to more service users and to get to get more people involved. That's what I would say about it, you know. Um, you also work a little bit with Cork City Council with the Real Love Paint Initiative. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, one of our latest parts, that, again, going on to our expansion parts of, of our enterprise here. And that would be involved with Cork City Council. Cork County Council and Cork City Council was a venture with ourselves in three separate social enterprises within the county and city. Now, basically what we do is we collect used paint from locally here, Kentuck, Mill Street, McCroom, and very sharply Mallow. And we will collect the paint from the social amenity sites, or the civic amenity sites, sorry. And then uh, we bring it here, and we have a new workshop where we uh, recolor it, and we remix the paint, and we set it back then um, as a quality paint in buckets of five litres for 15 euros then. You know, that that's the then people use it, reuse it again inside in their house. Now, it's water-based paint, um, which is most important. And it's all internal paint. Okay, so in other words, you're making use of something that otherwise might end up in a drain or might end up in landfill and would be lost otherwise. Is the green message getting through, Column? do you think? Because this is the kind of initiative, it'll, if it works in rural Ireland, it'll work anywhere. Yeah, no, I suppose, you know, the one thing I would say about that, Jonathan, is that, you know, I suppose that we, when we get this thing in our head about getting involved in these words like circular economy and getting involved in the green, the green, the whole the green thing, is that we think that it's going to cost a lot of money to get involved in it. Like, you know, with the price of very expensive cars and with the price of doing big retro jobs to your house or whatever. But like anyone can get involved. Like if you are taking 
paint back to your civic community site and your and and, and into your and we are re repackaging it and redoing it again. We are you are getting involved in a circular economy. It's a small way, but if everyone gets involved in a small way, it all adds up. And the very same as the furniture. Like I'm going back to the furniture for a minute is because you know here, especially in rural Ireland, there was we 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 had a lot of problems locally years ago of like fly tipping where people who would throw out would say pieces of furniture and they'd be like, because of the area being so rural and mountainous, a lot of it, you know, and forestry areas, there'd be a lot of stuff thrown, you know what I mean? Out. I think hopefully we're drilling the message in that we are available to take it. You know what I mean? Mm. Tell us a little bit about how people can get in contact with you if they're interested in the initiative, finding out more about it, or indeed have something that they think can be upcycled and recycled. Yeah, so I'd like you to contact us here at our, at our base here in, in Newmarket County, Cork, and IRD Duhalla. And or you can reach us by email as well at revamp at irdduhalla.com. Um, now, what I'd say with that is, like, you know the way some people come into a shop and they might get this impression of, like, if I'm going to say to you, Jonathan, now, you know, we'll go to a second-hand shop and we'll have a look for a coach. Like, we all had this perception or that it's going to be dirty. There's going to be a smell there. It's not going to be, it's dingy, it's whatever. You know, but we have an environment, we have a shop space here that's bright, open. Everything is stringent, very, very, like we have practice and procedures. Everything is spotlessly clean. Everything is at a value to people. And if they're, they're quality project products and they are at a lower price, and we really need to get people moving towards this. You know what I mean? So we want them to consider maybe, okay. if you're buying something tomorrow morning, consider coming here first. Colm O'Connor, Rural Social Scheme Supervisor, down with IRD and Duhallo. It's been an absolute pleasure, Colm, and good luck to you and the rest of the crew there. Thanks for your time, Jonathan. Thank you very much. And that's it from this episode of Red Business. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, Red Business in Focus, with thanks to Cork's local enterprise offices, is live right now. It's our complimentary video series, and that's on redfm.ie. Schieffer Clear was the producer, and we'll catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.